welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast. This is our fifth season called The New Normal, or maybe that's The New Normal. Um, <laughs> I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Leadership Associate and pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Great to see you as always, David. I'm Rhonda Blevins. I'm the pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, and I'm also a Pinnacle Associate as well. And today we pick up on our conversations around this idea of the new normal and how we are coming back after COVID or maybe in the midst of an endemic rather than a pandemic. And we are asking some of the questions about what it means to be church these days and how do we navigate some of the church leadership challenges of this world in which we live. Our guest today is going to help us think about all things church transition uh, in this post-Christendom era. We're going to be talking about things like microchurch and denominational shifts. We're going to possibly talk about megachurch. Um, and so our guest today is Dot Killian. She is also a Pinnacle Associate. Um, Dot is the only lawyer by training on our Pinnacle Leadership Associates team, but she's also an ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church. She has served in the past as an associate presbyter, um, and now she's an interim minister at a church in Raleigh, Davies Street Presbyterian Church. Dot is a uh, is, is a valuable member of our Pinnacle Leadership Associates team, and she has um, lots of insights to share with our team. So we're definitely looking forward to our conversation with Dot today. And I know that Dot has also helped to develop a uh, new church community in the past as yeah. part of the Presbyterians uh, initiative of 1001 New Worshiping Communities. And so I think some of that experience and all the different insights that Dot has uh, will be really valuable to us as we engage in this conversation. So let's figure out what we can learn about church transitions in this new normal. The American religious landscape is constantly changing. Both American culture and the church look quite different today than a generation ago, much less 50 years ago or even 200 years ago. The macro trends that have been shaping the American religious landscape for several decades now were only amplified by COVID, so it seems. Megachurches growing, smaller churches shrinking, regular attendance and active participation waning. At a high level, the emerging Hartford Institute data speaks to these statistical realities. But what do these trends look like when we drill down at the local level? What are we seeing in the movement of the Spirit in the details? How might we engage our specific context in the midst of this larger VUCA world? In the year 2000, Robert Putnam published his classic book, Bowling Alone. In it, he chronicles the breakdown of social bonds in American culture, decreasing engagement and participation in bowling leagues, rotary clubs, community organizations, and yes, churches. But 20 years later, is the pendulum swinging back even a little bit? Are there signs of new life in our society and in the church? There is an actual increase in the popularity of bowling leagues these days. Slow church, micro church, divergent church movements are pushing back against the megachurch dominance. 
Traditional churches are reimagining their approaches to ministry, and many are bringing organizational structures into alignment with a new sense of mission and calling. Where are you seeing signs of new life in your local congregation or community? If you have a story to share, please find us on Facebook or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to pastorlifepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll play it in a future episode. But for now, on to our conversation with Dot Killian about the new normal on the ground in our local churches and communities. Welcome to the podcast, Dot. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're looking forward to exploring some of these ideas about you know, what are the, the tides that are changing, what are the new insights that we're gleaning, and, and I hope maybe what we'll do together in conversation today is think about the churches that we know the best, the churches that we help to lead, uh, but maybe some of the stories that we're hearing from colleagues or churches we're engaging with. And, and just what is it like on the ground these days for the churches that we serve? Um, we know that the landscape in American religious life has been changing for quite a while, and COVID has exacerbated that. But Dot, I wonder, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your current ministry, uh, what you're up to in helping the congregation in Raleigh through a time of transition, and and just maybe share anything else you'd like to about yourself and uh, and, and what you're up to these days. Sure. At Davie Street, we are in the midst of our mission study, which is a required exercise for churches that have the pastor has has been there for several years and has resigned, retired, or moved on. And so we are about three fourths of the way through the mission study, after which uh, we'll prepare a report. And uh, then they will elect uh, their pastor nominating committee. There's a lot of excitement there. Uh, they've been waiting to do this. Uh, their pastor, Dr. Byron Wade, Reverend Dr. Byron Wade, was there for 26 years, uh, but he left to take a position with the Western, Western North Carolina Presbytery. And so they've been sort of looking and waiting to, to move forward uh, with some, some grief, but uh, they're, they're, they're in a position now to sort of see the way and so we, we've been getting, we had about five, what we call congregational gatherings, and we had very good attendance at those. And, and in that time, we came up with a, a new mission statement and a new uh, vision statement. And so uh, I, I, I see good energy. Don't have the, of course, the, the, I think the data that uh, we know about the volunteers being uh, about half of, of what they were before COVID is certainly there. But uh, with those people who are present, I see a lot of energy and excitement about moving forward. Thank you for leading with the energy and excitement because, you know, the narrative nationally, um, at least, is, you know, church decline, right? Mainline churches are in decline. We've been hearing that for years. Eventually, evangelical churches kind of caught up with that narrative and are beginning to see decline. And so if we kind of look at the big picture, we can kind of get this sense of gloom and doom, but yet ministry is kind of on the ground, isn't it? With the real people in the churches, people that we can wrap our arms around and and hug and and support in life's ins and outs. And so what are you seeing by way of of folks? What are they thinking about the, this narrative of church decline? Does, does that reach the pews too much? 
That, that's a great question. And in fact, we had a meeting uh, not long ago and one of the members after the meeting called and said, you know, I'm tired of hearing about the church dying. <laughs> are we really dying? Or, or, or if we are, what can we do to, to, to live? And, and so there is this sort of undercurrent of that gloom and doom. But people, I think that at least the ones that David Street have decided, they don't want to buy into that. Hmm. Uh, we did, did a holy cow assessment. And that's what it said. You know, this church is in, you know, recovery or whatever. And they went, no, 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 that's no, we're not. <laughs> we don't we don't want to be there. So they resist that. They, they don't want to be uh, characterized as a dying church. And so I said, well, in order not to be, you have got to, you've got to do some things. And one, you've got to make some, some adaptations to some things, lots of things. And that's been kind of slow at first, but now that they see that's, this is okay, this is kind of fun. And so they're, they're, they're living into that. You're serving a church that is literally in transition, what we would have thought about in olden days as transition, transition between pastors, a, a good time to sort of regroup, mm -hmm. re-articulate our mission, think about who we are and what God's calling us to be in the world. And of course, that sets a church up to, to really move through a search process with some clear direction and momentum. Mm -hmm. I wonder though, if in this new normal that we're trying to, to figure out, if all churches are in some amount of transition, mm -hmm. whether they have a pastor who's been serving there alongside them for a decade or more um, or not, they might not literally be in transition between pastoral leaders, but I think all of us could use this kind of time of reflection, recommitment to our mission, the energy that you're seeing in that transitional process I mean, it seems like that could play out in, in many of our churches right now. What do you think? I, I would agree. I think that I think that all churches are in transition, particularly because no one has ever lived through a pandemic, uh, in, particularly in the church. And so churches with pastors, uh, even long-term pastors, still have to figure out how to do, how to be church in this new uh, new time. And so, you know, people are people who used to serve are no, are no longer there. The ones who are there are not able to give as much time as they used to. People's interests have changed. People's uh, values in some cases have changed. And so I think the church has to look at that and figure out, well, you know, what do we do now? So I think every church, no matter how solid in, in terms of leadership, has to, to sort of reevaluate uh, where it is and where God is calling it to be. One of the things that I think about a lot is taking proactive steps to sort of mitigate this larger narrative, you know, attempting to be a prophet a little bit, looking into the future, seeing where things are going. And my guess, um, not being Presbyterian, I'm not very familiar with, uh, is it 1001 worshiping communities? Mm -hmm. um, is that what the PCUSA was thinking about when they launched that initiative? And then you kind of stepped into that, right? Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. There was this idea that there, there are many, many people particularly in what we call the duns, people who had were just had been to church and were tired, or the nuns, folk mm -hmm. who had never been engaged in, 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 in church. Uh, but they were still looking, they were still searching for something, some, some way of engaging uh, spiritually. And so the 1001 worshiping communities uh, decided, let's, let's try something drastically different. And so uh, I went to a training uh, at uh, Columbia Seminary in, in Georgia uh, to find out more and what it is, is that the, the idea is that church, a church is not necessarily, it doesn't have, doesn't have to have a building to, to, to serve, to, be, to, be, to have followers of Christ involved. 
it can be anywhere. It can be in a bar. It can be in a library. It can be in a coffee house. It doesn't have to have to have a high steeple and have you know all the things that we we believe believed had to be there. And so um, in our presbytery, we were I think we probably are the only ones were the only ones still we don't have it now that didn't have a one thousand and one worshiping community. So we looked around. In fact, there were a couple in Charlotte, and we sort of looked to see how theirs was working and decided to open our own and try our own. What I learned in that process is that it, you have to have several ingredients to that. One is a leader who, in my mind, has to be a, a rather charismatic type person who is a sort of all hands-on and you know, kind of out there, uh, gregarious person who can attract uh, those persons who are not church or who have left church. Uh, secondly, you have to have some very, very deep intentionality from the presbytery because you have to have funding uh, to get it started. When you start, you don't have any persons or any offerings or whatever. So you have to have the funding, deep funding. Uh, and there is funding available through the 1001 communities. Uh, and you have to have commitment from the presbytery beyond the funding. We didn't have all three. I am not, first of all, I'm not a charismatic person. Uh, we did have some funding. We had uh, a grant from our presbytery and we got started, uh, but that ran out and we, you know, we just didn't, we, we didn't last long enough. I've been in touch even since I, that, 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 that didn't work uh, with other 1001 communities to see how they are doing and how, how it's working. And some of course are working very, very well. Some not so much because you, you have to have those three pieces. And if you don't have those, it's somehow, you know, as anything else, I mean, it just didn't, didn't work. But if there is a thirst, there is a hunger for that kind of uh, worshiping community. Uh, there are people who would not come to a church as we know it, uh, but would go to a coffee house. They would go to a library or they would go to someone's home to, to learn about Christ. And so we found that it is a very, very useful tool and uh, it's, they're still being formed now. I think they're probably almost about a thousand of 900 plus uh, 1,000 uh, virtual communities in our denomination. That's great. It's a, you know, it's a great initiative. And I think it's, it's a, a um, you know, even in the things that you learned through the community that, that did not quote unquote, make it, you know, I think there's learning that was involved in that, I'm sure. And it seems like, just like with any new business start, if you had a collection of a thousand new business starts over this past year, there's a, a certain percentage of them that you just know are not gonna are not gonna reach sustainability. Mm -hmm. And you know, potentially even from those, we we learn and we grow. And and what it kind of brings me to think about is we we talked in a previous episode about the the pastor as technologist and this pressure that I think we feel in the COVID environment to, and, and really in just a, a, the informational age that we live in, the, the pressure that pastors feel to, to learn technology and become a pseudo expert, uh, or at least proficient in it. I, I wonder if there's also in this environment, a pressure that pastors feel to be sort of the pastor as entrepreneur. Uh, who's always innovating and has and, and is always bringing the energy for change and adaptation to the congregation. And, and, it, and if that's so, what effect that might have on pastors who that's not their natural inclination, or it might not be their skill set. It certainly wasn't the thing we learned in seminary, right, Rhonda? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I've heard, uh, David, I've heard uh, a few pastors complain about that very thing, that, that they're just not equipped to do the kinds of things that, that, that are expected of them in this new uh, season. Uh, the technology, the entrepreneurship, all of that. In fact, I'm doing some work with the church right now who they have some property and they, they want to do something, but the pastor said, you know, I, this is not what I do. <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't know where to start. <laughs> and, and so we're going to have some sessions talking about, well, these are some things that are possible. Uh, it, it takes some time to find out, you know, what, what, where to start, because that's just not part of our training. And so I have heard some grumblings about, well, you know, I'm expected to do this, this, and this, and that's just not, you know, that's not who I am. And I, I really don't know how to do that. Uh, but I am also finding that once you let that be known or, or admit that, acknowledge that, there may be people within the congregation who have those skills. And so, you know, tap into that and let's see, you know, we, what, what we find. Uh, the other day in a meeting, uh, we were talking about technology and we were having, in fact, we were having a, what I call a round table because in the, in the Presbyterian church, you have the, the meetings have to be, are structured, but a round table, you can kind of, you know, talk about all kinds of things. And so we were talking about technology and one guy, you know, raised his hand. He said, well, I'd like to be involved. He said, um, I used to work with uh, ABC News. <laughs> really? <laughs> so who knew? Uh, <laughs> so when are you available? <laughs> but he right. was, you know, he he's recently joined the church and no one knew that he used to work for ABC News. <laughs> and so I said, well, look, we, you and I need to have a conversation tomorrow, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I think that we, that the pastors though, do find themselves kind of caught up in this uh, whirlwind of trying to do all these things that are outside their 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 tools tools kit, and so we are we we meaning most particular pastors in small and rural churches uh, are are really grappling grasping for you know help in other areas. I'm kind of stuck on the title of the Presbyterian Initiative: One Thousand and One Worshiping Communities, and I wonder if worship is the best rallying point in this new normal. Because one of the things that I'm seeing in different circles are um, different groups rallying around service, yeah. uh, philanthropy. And so or I wonder affinity if- groups, you know, aff affinity groups, you know, affinity for, you know, trail running or sure, sure, sure. something else. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if worship is the best rallying point in this new normal. In fact, I'm going tonight to a, a gathering of women who are going to be doing a project related to water, you know, in across the world and clean water access. There's some real energy around that that I don't necessarily see around worship all the time. So thoughts about that? Well, worship, I think worshiping is a term that, that's used, but it is it, it is interpreted very broadly, mm. very, very broadly. Uh, I can give you a couple of examples. One of my friends who was actually in the class with me, uh, his, his, his project or ministry, if you will, is all technology. It's, he, uh, he has a podcast out of Atlanta wherein he interviews people, uh, AJC podcast, you may have heard of, heard of it, uh, but he, he interviews people, uh, theologians and other folk from you know, weekly on his podcast. And that's, and that's his 1001 initiative. There's one that has a, a community garden and that's that that's his worshiping community. So it's not worship just you know in a in a church or in a place. Gotcha. But it's 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 very broad, mm -hmm. very, very broad. I'm thinking back to some of the statistics that Mark has shared, uh, both in the podcast that we recorded with him, Rhonda, and also in 
the new presentation that he's been doing, the current situation. And some of this is research from the Hartford Institute and is looking at changes in the churches that have been a part of their survey pre-COVID to you know, even in these recent days. And Dot, you mentioned this one statistic of the percentage of people who quote unquote volunteered or were actively involved in leading ministry or mission effort within churches, that percentage within the church has gone from 40 some percent to 20 some percent, mm-hmm. about half in these post-COVID days. One of the other statistics from that research has been that the median sized church pre-COVID was I think a little over a hundred active participants. And these days is around 75 active participants. So the median American church is around 75 active participants. And yet the the headliners and a lot of our cultural conversations about religion are the megachurch, big box churches, the the multi-site churches. And the Hartford statistics really sort of show that over half of the active attenders in American churches attend churches that are less than a thousand active participants. Many of those are in churches in less than a hundred active participants. And so really the, you know, two-thirds of Christians who are actively a part of a congregation, they go to a smaller church or at best a medium-sized church. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is great growth in the small number of megachurches and the weight of their voice in the larger conversation is probably bigger than than what their numbers would actually show. So, So I just sort of wonder, you know, there's this growth on the large church end. Maybe there's also sort of this growth either in, in churches that have become smaller or in these micro church new church start kind of movements. I was meeting with a church last night, a small church in the Columbia area, and they said, we're feeling sort of pushed out of this market by all the different modern churches Mm -hmm. who are starting up doing a radical new way to be the church. And so it's sort of these two extremes, and and maybe most churches are in the middle. And so I, I wonder how this changing landscape opens opportunities for those churches who are kind of in the middle. Well, before, before I started, even, even before COVID in our denomination, I probably 90% of our churches were 100 people or less. So we were kind of used to, used to that. Uh, We we had very few, what what would you would call mega of churches with over 1000 people uh, in them. Uh, but I think there, I think there is opportunity. I think we can learn uh, from uh, the mega churches. I think there, there, there are certain aspects of what they offer that that the smaller and medium-sized churches can learn, but not try to imitate. I think it's very important that we we understand who we are, smaller and medium-sized churches. That we don't need to have the lights and the glitter, and you know, the, we we don't need that. We think we do. I think though one of the aspects of the mega church that is important that 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 uh, medium and small churches need uh, is the music. I think the music is very very important, and and one of the things that I've learned uh, sort of you know just in in my work at Providence Presbytery is that musicians uh, across the, uh, the board can really really make a difference in who comes, who stays, uh, who gets involved, 
And you know, as a pastor, it's it's hard to think that the musician has carries more weight than the, the word, but in some cases, that's the truth. And so I, I think that we can learn how we can learn also, I think, uh, from some leadership styles, how some things not to do and not to be uh, from the mega churches. And at the same time, keeping up with who's there, not so much, I mean, there's been a lot of emphasis on, well, who left, who's not here, who, where are they, how, where can we find them? But focusing on who is there and what can we do to strengthen their leadership skills? What can we do to strengthen their spiritual awareness and, and not be concerned about, well, gosh, we only have 60 people and the place across the street has, you know, a thousand people, whatever, but just be who you are. Uh, we won't be able to, to, to do the kinds of things you won't have maybe a after church coffee, you know, theater or whatever, but you have the people who love each other, who care about each other, who know each other. And I find too that um, I have some, some younger cousins who are members of, of mega churches and, uh, you know, they attend pretty regularly, but when something happens, when they get ill or when they, there's some tragedy or whatever in their family, you know who they call? They call the pastor that they grew up with. They call our family church. They, they don't call, they don't go to whoever the pastor is at the mega church. Probably don't know he or she may be, you know, or don't have a relationship with that person. They they come home, so to speak. And I don't know if that's across the board, but I but I do know that I've seen that and it kind of tickled me. I said, wow, you know, why didn't I wonder why they didn't call whoever, you know, the pastor is at that, you know, 1000 church, you know, member church, but they come to the church that has about 70, 75 people. I mean, that, that's just in, indicative of that's church at its best, right? It's being with people through the joys of life, right? Through the challenges that life brings. It's showing up mm -hmm. in the hospital room. It's, exactly. you know, it's, off, it's being able to call people by name. And that's something that smaller churches can offer that large mega churches really just can't. Yeah. Um, and I think that's our strength. I think that's yeah. our strength of being present, being able to be present, uh, having, you know, having a relationship with, with people, a genuine relationship, as you said, Ron, you know, in, in, in good and bad times, I had a cousin who got married uh, two years ago, and, she, and her husband is a member of a, a big, you know, mega church, but, uh, and they talked about getting married because, you know, the family is pretty large, and so it would probably be best to have it at his church, and she said no. I, I want to have it at my church. And, and it's about a 70, 60, 75 person church. And I mean, it was standing room only, but that's, that's where she wanted to do it. One of the things about a mega church is uh, the anonymity. You can go and kind of hide and nobody yeah. ever knows your name or ask you to be on a committee or <laughs> teach in Sunday school, right? You can kind of slip in and out as, as just a, an observer, a casual mm -hmm. observer. Smaller churches, on the other hand, if you show up and you show some interest and you have some talent, man, you're on every single committee. And you, yeah. I mean, they it can be very demanding. And so, you know, helping create a balance for people so that they don't become overburdened by ministry um, in smaller churches, I think, is something we need to be aware of. Absolutely. Yeah. I've asked some people you know, what, so when you, who, who attend mega churches, what, how do you fit in? How do you find you know, your place, how, how do you do that? And they said, one said, well, you just, you, you find an area that you, you know, your choir or, you know, something that you enjoy doing the technology piece or something like that. And you just know those people, you don't know the rest of the people. Yeah. And I found that very, for me, very uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> I want to know people. I want to know all the people. And so um, I said, okay, I, I guess I understand that. And it seems like 
and this is maybe an echo back to our conversation with, with D Vaughn earlier in the season uh, about how technology can give us that sense of anonymity mm-hmm. and people can sort of drop in on a service by watching it live streamed online. I think this whole conversation is just a good reminder to all churches of all sizes and churches who are 200 plus years old and have a rich history and tradition and also churches who started a year ago or just pre-COVID that we have an opportunity right now to go deeper into who we are, what is our identity, and then what is God inviting us to do in the world. And that, that that's probably the healthiest place for every church, mega, micro, and everything in the middle mm-hmm. to begin in navigating this emerging new normal. Mm-hmm. Who are we? What has God called us to do in our local community? And how do we create energy or join in the spirits movement to do that. And I think as we kind of look at the the 30,000 foot view and denominational shifts, denominational crisis moments, maybe even sort of the fading importance of denominational identity for many of the people in the pew, it's really an invitation back to us as leaders in local churches to ask those questions and invite people into that conversation. And maybe that's one of the the way forward in the very local sense of of the new normal. Well, in interim ministry, that that's one of the first questions I ask when I go to a church. Uh, what what are you known for, and who are you? Uh, particularly since you know you, your your twenty year pastor of twenty six thirty years is no longer here. Uh, who are you? What kind of church do you believe God has called you to be? in this time, not what you were in 1973, but who are you now? And believe it or not, that, that's a question that they look at you like, what are you talking about? You know, we are, and they'll you know, say their name, and we've been here 150 years. Why are you asking us who we are? You know who we are. And I said, no, I don't. And I want to make sure you do. And so it sort of shocks them that don't you ask that because they figure the name tells you who they are and how many years they've been in existence tells you who they are you know, in the course of, of my season with them, I explained that that's not true. You are not who you used to be. You're some other church, some other entity. And we've got to discern as to where God is now calling this church to be. And so, you know, it starts kind of, you know, like, are you, are you serious? I mean, you know, you don't know who we are. Are you here to work with us? <laughs> that kind of thing. But it's, it's important, as you said, that, that they can somehow discern and articulate who they are to each other and to the community, to the world, because it's Presbyterians are not known for local mission. That's just not our strength. Uh, and so getting them to, to buy into, okay, we are here. We have this beautiful structure. We have this wonderful you know, legacy, but there's a community around us that's hurting, that's broken. What are we doing about that? Do we feel called to go out to get out of the four walls and do something? Or are we just going to stay in these four walls with our beautiful sanctuary and our Hammond organs and so forth, that kind of thing. And that's that's a kind of a hard turn for, for many, uh, but that's the turn I believe that God is calling us to make in, in this season. I think that's really important in this new normal. Everything in the world is shifting 
so rapidly and so quickly. And one of the gifts that the church, and and I will say, especially smaller, medium-sized churches can offer to the community is an anchor point, right? Come be a part of this community and here's who we are. And if we can really articulate that, really define that and really kind of live into that and own that, then that's a gift for those who are coming to be a part of that community with the world's changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'd share with them, Rhonda, too, is that we, we can't sit and wait for people to come to us. Uh, we have to go to them wherever mm-hmm. they are. And again, that's that's real difficult. That's hard for, for Presbyterians to say, hmm, you mean like go knocking on doors? <laughs> and I said, possibly, or just go for instance, the other day we had we had a track trunk or treat uh, at the church. Our church is downtown uh, Raleigh. And I said, you know, what if we have trunk or treat in, in a neighborhood rather than having it on at our church? Because as I said, our church is, you know, is in, in a business district. There's some houses around, but it's not like in a neighborhood, you know, like maybe in a housing development or something. And they're like, Mm. <laughs> 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 not so sure so but, but that's that's an example of you know getting out into because it, when you're at your church you're, you're still at although you may be outdoors you're still safe in your in your environment right. <laughs> but if you take it down four blocks over where you you're not familiar with it and people don't look like you and, and didn't graduate from a and t and you know whatever chapel hill hmm that's a whole different thing and, and that's where I'm trying to push them to is let's let's move this over here. And so people don't have to come to us. We are going we're meeting them where they are. Yeah. It strikes me that if one of the things we're learning about the new normal is that the new normal is all about change, transition, adaptation. And I think we do that out of out of the grounding of who we are and out of the deep places of our tradition and identity. Clearly that's one of the blessings and gifts that we have as churches. But the reality is that things are changing mm-hmm. and the new normal may be that we are constantly adapting. We are all transition churches and we are all transition pastors. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, Dot, kind of as we bring the conversation to a close, if there's some word of hope or blessing that you would want to give to pastors who are out there and maybe they're feeling like, They have to be the technologist or the entrepreneur or the innovator or the the one who holds everything together. What would you maybe say to pastors out there who are trying to figure out this new normal? Well, what I've learned, David, is that uh, first, I accept the fact that there are so many things that I don't know, but I also acknowledge that there are other people who do know. And so I've learned to, to mine all the resources that I can particularly younger folk. I mean, I, you know, I look around every time I go to a church, I ask who does this, who, who knows how to do this, who knows how to do that. And I use all the talent that's within and without. There's always somebody who knows, they either know it or they know somebody who knows it. And so I, I just look around and try to reuse all the resources and not try to burden myself with all the things that I know I don't have the skills to do. Now, sometimes I'll say, well, I need to learn that skill and I'll, I'll ask for help in learning a skill. But beyond that, I'll, I'll just mind, I'll ask, I don't have too much pride to say, well, you know, I really don't know how to do that. Could you help me do that? Or would you do that? That's the, the advice I would give is to not, be, to not be ashamed or too proud to ask for help, to, to find out who in the church has these skills and use them and give them, you know, credit for, for doing it. 
We have a lady at our church who is, she has an eye for decorating. And I said, when I first got this, okay, who was the person? Because there's one in every church. And so like for World Communion Sunday and other, you know, she had a beautiful, beautiful setting for that. And I called her up and I congratulated her. I, I thanked her for it because I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's not what I do. Uh, and any other area where there's, where I don't have skills, I just mine for other people who have those skills and praise them for it. Be sure to praise them and give them credit for it. That's very important. And, and not try to take everything on yourself. Now, it took me years to, to learn that. It took me quite a few years to say, well, you don't know everything. You don't have all the skills you need. But now I, I've, thank God I've gotten to the point where I know that I don't need to know everything. I can call on other people to help. Well, thank you so much for that word of wisdom and insight. I'm so glad God called you from lawyering. That's hard to say, lawyering to pastoring. <laughs> I think, well, I think uh, you're a blessing to uh, the communities that you serve and certainly a blessing to our clinical team. So thanks for being with us today, Dot. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, David. I've enjoyed it. Well, that's it for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast. Uh, you can find out more about Pastor Life and Pinnacle Leadership Associates at our website. Rhonda, why don't you give us that info? <laughs> that's pinlead.com, P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. And you can also reach us at pastorlifepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We're trying to build a community of pastors and clergy who care deeply about this ministry thing that we're all trying to do together. A group of transition pastors for a transitional <laughs> church, right? That's right. Thank you, David, for that. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, everybody. See you next time.